Welcome to Vineyard 61's weekly podcast. We hope you'll be inspired, challenged, and encouraged by this week's speaker. For previous messages, go to our website, vineyard61.org, or subscribe via iTunes or SoundCloud. just uh, transitioning into um, preach today. We are doing a series on when Jesus met. And we're going through the Bible and we're just talking about the different characters that Jesus met and how he responded to them, how they responded back to him. And um, we get to choose who we're going to talk about. And when I was was thinking about all the people that Jesus met, there was one woman that I thought, I cannot go past talking about this woman. And so we are going to be talking today about the woman who was caught in adultery, who Jesus met. Because I think, you know, like, let's just go for the controversial characters. They, they seem to be quite interesting. So I'm just going to be reading um, the scripture out from John 8. It may come onto the screen. And Jesus returned to the Mount of Olives But early the next morning, he was back again to the temple. A crowd soon gathered around, and he sat down to talk to them. As he was speaking, the Jewish leaders and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery and placed her out in front front of the staring crowd. Teacher, they said to Jesus, this woman was caught in a very act of adultery. Moses' law says that we should kill her. What do you say about it? They were trying to trap him into saying something they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. They kept demanding an answer, so he stood up again and said, All right, hell stones at her until she dies. But only he who has never sinned may cast the first stone. Then he stooped down again and wrote something more in the dust. And the Jewish leaders slipped away one by one beginning with the eldest, until Jesus left, was left in front of the crowd with just the woman. Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And then Jesus said, then neither do I. Go and sin no more. So we're just going to have a look at at what Jesus did here with this woman, how he responded to her. One of, my fir- one of the first things when I think about when I read this story is how Jesus dealt with conflict, right? Like, I mean, he was, this is, these people, these Pharisees are coming at him at like, with a, at like a 10, like 10 intensity. They're not, you know, like he was, he had a crowd in front of him, he was preaching, and they're not like just passive aggressively hanging out on the side with this woman. They like come out in front of the crowd and they're like, What's, what do you say? What should we do with this woman? And what I love about Jesus' response is he doesn't react. He doesn't go, oh, you're at a 10, so I'm going to come and meet you at a 10. I'm going to come and fight you. He just takes himself out of the store. He just like goes down to the ground, starts writing something. I, I just think that is just so amazing because I think often when people come at us, you know, in a really like, in a way they're just like they want an answer, they're, they're, they're making accusation, they want, us to, they want us to come back and meet them at that. 
But what I love is that Jesus goes down, he waits. He waits until he hears from God. He waits until he sees what his father is doing with this woman and with these people. You know, if he had just reacted, then maybe he wouldn't have honoured the law the way that he did. Maybe he wouldn't have honoured grace. Maybe he, w- he would have just said, fine, kill this woman. You know, like he just, he really, he, re- he waited, which I think is so powerful when we're facing conflict, is just to wait. And it's the last thing that we want to do. So the Pharisees wanted Jesus' agreement that this woman was defined by the sin that she had committed. But instead of agreeing, he first acknowledged the sin, he disarmed her accusers, and then he separated sin from her future. And we're just going to look through um, both of the, all of those, those things that he did. So first he acknowledged the sin. All right, hell stones at her until she dies, Jesus said. But he who is without sin cast the first stone. Through doing this, Jesus, what Jesus is saying is, you are absolutely right. By the law's standards, this woman should be killed. But then what he does is he invites the Pharisees into the interrevelation of grace. And um, this is something I've shared before, but it doesn't, doesn't hurt to share it again, is that grace raises the bar. So if this is the law right here, the standards of the law, grace is up here. And in Matthew 5.28, it says, You have heard it said that the law of Moses, in the law of Moses, that you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone who looks at a woman with lust in his eyes already committed adultery in his heart. So that's saying, so the law is saying, if you commit adultery, you're wrong. Grace is saying, if you commit, if you even think about committing it, you're wrong. And, and, and it becomes sort of impossible because how can we access this? How can we access these standards of what Jesus is saying when, when our perspective is just from the law? And the thing is, is that the law is just a line. It's a line. But grace is a circle that, that we, we fall from the law because we're imperfect. Grace is what catches us and then restores us to right, to right standing with Jesus. So it's not by our striving, not by our, our strength, but actually by what Jesus has done on the cross from us allows us to enter into this circle of grace. The Pharisees were trying to trap Jesus on the line. They were trying to trap him in judgment of sin. And I think that's one of the biggest transitions from, from law, the law to grace. It, it goes from doing the right thing to being right with God in your heart. It's, it's inside. It's something that not every man can see. Only, only you know where you stand with God in your heart. And... Um, After Jesus acknowledges the sin, he then disarms the accusers by turning judgment into conviction. uh, Jesus just has some really great things to say about judgment. Uh, That's just like, it's seriously paradigm shifting. In Matthew 7, verse 1 to 5, it's talking about judgment. And he says, 
Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will also be judged with that measure against you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take out the speck in your eye when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite. First deal with the plank in your own eye and you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Okay, guys, I have never understood that passage of scripture ever. Um, I always thought, what if your brother has like killed someone? And you have gossiped about someone. Like, that is, that, I would have a speck in my eye and he would have the plank. (laughs) Like, I'm like, you know, I just, I never understood, never understood that scripture. Until one day, God showed me that this is not, this is not a parable about sin against sin. This is judgment against sin. And what God is saying is judgment is the plank. Sin is but a speck. So it is judge. He's saying judgment issue is far greater than the sin issue. So if we read that again and take and put in judgment with the plank and sin with the speck, that last line says, "If you first take judgment out of your eye, you will see clearly to remove the sin from your brother's eye." the end (laughs) and that that is guys this is a key to life this is a key to living in harmony with the people around us with people that we don't agree with if we're walking around with planks of planks of judgment in our eyes we're never going to be able to help people find the light and that and that is our job our job is not to condemn and judge these people who are lost and in the darkness. Our job is, is to, to get rid of that and, and get on that level and say, hey, there is a love that is greater than judgment. The third thing Jesus does is he separates sin from her future. In verse 10, it says, Then Jesus stood up again and said to her, Where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you? No, sir, she said. And Jesus said, Then neither do I. Go and sin no more. The reason I I chose to speak about this woman is because this is where I met Jesus. I was this woman... And I, I didn't share this last week when I was um, at Battersea and I've been thinking about it all week and God said to me, there is someone at Balaam who really needs to hear your story. And it wasn't a, it's not a story, it's a story that costs me something to share. But when your life is a sacrifice, (laughs) I'd rather be uncomfortable 
and see one person find hope. So 10 years ago, God dramatically encountered me. He saved my life. Whilst I was in the process of taking my own life. He brought me before my accusers. And he gave me a second chance. And I just want to say that since that day that God came and he, he showed up when I was ready to die, I've never had a suicidal thought since. And I just want to release that over this place right now. And it doesn't matter how badly you have screwed up. There is a life full of hope, full of, full of passion, full of dreams, full of righteousness that is waiting for you on the other side. There is a real life, guys. And you may have destroyed your life. You may have absolutely self-destructed and completely destroyed your life. God is going to give you a new one. Because that's who he is. When we fall from the line, grace is what catches us and it restores us back. And then we are powerful conduits of his gospel. The issue for me was that it wasn't a, it wasn't a wham, bam, thank you, ma'am, free in a moment kind of thing. I still believe that I was a sinner. And so I went on this incredible journey through the wilderness with this beautiful God for two years. And the scriptures opened up to me during this journey. And I just want to release that as well, that the scripture would just open up to you in a way that you've never experienced it before, that this scripture would be alive. It's so good. Okay. One of the scriptures that he took me to was from Hosea. And if you guys aren't familiar with Hosea, it's a really weird book um, in the Old Testament where God gets this man, Hosea, to go and marry this prostitute called Goma. And that's a name that never really took off, is it? Anyway. <laughs> anyway, he, uh, he, she, he has these children with her, but they're actually other men's children. And it's like an example of like what Israel has done to God. And um, this woman just keeps on, she keeps on running away from her husband to keep on having affairs with all these other men to keep on selling her body, but Hosea keeps going back and, and purchasing her back the way that God has purchased us back. And there's this beautiful scripture in, um, in chapter 2, verse 14. And it says, But I will court her again and bring her into the wilderness. I will speak to her tenderly there. There I will give back her vineyards to her and transform her valley of troubles into a doorway of hope. She will respond to me there singing with joy as in the days long ago in her youth after I freed her from captivity in Egypt. In that coming days, says the Lord, she will call me my husband instead of my master. Right there, 
She will call me my husband instead of my master. That, that is the transition from the law to grace. It, we go from being told what to do to being in relationship. And it goes on down in verse 20. It says, Then you will lie down in peace and safety, unafraid, and I will bind you to me forever with chains of righteousness and justice and love and mercy. I will betroth you to me in faithfulness and love, and you will really know me then as you have never known me before. When you go into the wilderness, you get to know God like you've never known him before. When you fall from that line, you get to know this God like you have never known him before. And you know what's incredible? Is, is, is this woman, Goma, she was in the Old Testament. This is before Jesus. This is a prophecy of what Jesus has done, to us, done for us. But what's incredible is that, that we get to be free. Guys, this is why he died. It, it's not because we were worth it. It's not because we got everything right. It's because he chose us. Because he said, look, look at that. Um, you know, all of that weakness, they need a saviour that is strong. And if there's something, if you are struggling with your humanity, with your flaws, with addiction, with whatever it might be, then you have reason to celebrate because you need a saviour. And that saviour is so real. And, and you don't have to go into behaviour modification for the rest of your life and have to keep this thing at bay. You can actually be free from it. It's offensive, guys. It's so real. It is so real. I um, So back in my hometown where my mum lives, that is, they were like the dark years of life. And um, you know when you're in a small town and everyone knows all your stuff? It's that kind of... <laughs> That kind of situation. And um, still, even to this day, I can walk down the street in my hometown, say hello to someone, and they won't say hello to me back. And um, anyway, so my mum has been going to the same church for years and years. And every time I go back to visit her, she always wants me to go to church with her. And it is like the church of judgment. It is like that's where all the people with the stones are. And I, I call it like my shame barometer because I always know how free I'm feeling <laughs> as to how full of shame I feel like even when I just drive past it or when I go inside. Anyway, I felt really convicted. My mum was like, oh, please, will you just come to church with me? You know, I just, I want to show you off. <laughs> and um, anyway, so this day I was just like, all right, mum, I'm going to go to church with you. Anyway, I was like having one of those desperate moments. You know when you like have a desperate moment where you're just like, God, speak to me now. And you just like open, <laughs> open your Bible. So I was having a desperate moment and I opened my Bible and it opened to Joshua 5, 8, 9. And just to give a bit of background here. Um, so Joshua has just led the Israelites out of the wilderness. They've just crossed the River Jordan 
And um, if you're not familiar with the story, then basically God just kept them in that wilderness until all the unbelievers died and then their sons got to go and actually take the promised land. Um, But in the wilderness, they weren't uh, circumcised. So, and what circumcision represents is covenant for the Israelites. So anyway, I opened, I opened up this, the Bible to this scripture that says, Today I have ended your shame of not being circumcised. So the place where this was done was called Gilgal, meaning to end. God knew that it was really important that if, he, that if his chosen people were actually going to go into the, into the promised land, that they didn't go in as sinners that they didn't go in as slaves, that they didn't go in with a, with a mindset of I've screwed up. And so he made this plate, he called it Gilgal, the end. It wasn't even the end of shame. It wasn't even the end of not being in covenant. It was just called the end. Reminds me of what Jesus says on the cross, isn't it? It's finished. It's just done. So I went into that church that day, and I'll never forget it. That day for me was Gilgal. And I just worshipped. I just worshipped like shame had never been a part of me. And I really feel here today that today is Gilgal for many people. It is the end. And, it, and can I just say that shame is not something that just hides in the closet of your heart. That you really, really can be free. something really powerful about confession. (coughs) Bringing stuff from the darkness into the light. Psalm 32 says, What happiness for those whose guilt has been forgiven. What joys when sins are covered over. What relief for those who have confessed their sins and God has cleared their record. There was a time when I wouldn't admit that I was a sinner. But my dishonesty made me miserable and filled my days with frustration. All day and night your hand was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water on a sunny day. Until finally I admitted all of my sins and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess them to the Lord and you forgave me. All my guilt is now gone. If I can get the band to come up.
there is a fresh start in this place for people today. There is a life that is so rich and it's so far removed from from what you could ever imagine. I couldn't believe that freedom was real. If only someone had told me. If only someone had told me that it was real. I experienced a freedom that was so much greater than anything I'd ever heard preached, than anything anyone had ever told me. I couldn't work out why no one had ever told me it was so real. Steve Backlund says, any area of your life that you're feeling shame, you can absolutely guarantee that you're believing a lie. He's a great resource, by the way, if you want to get into this whole freedom, renewing your mind thing. I just see a, um, a restoration of marriages over this place today. And maybe your parents' home was broken. Maybe your own home was broken. I don't know. But there's, there's a restoration of marriages in this place today. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? For that to happen, you've got to actually face your enemies. You've got to come into the light. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. There is an anointing in this place today. There is an anointing. God is here. God is here and his banner over us is Gilgal. It is the end. He wants to make an exchange with you today. From the heaviness into love. You might be down here in grace. God wants to, he wants to restore you today into right standing with him. Where there is nothing in between you. There is just nothing in between you.
If you want to claim this day as Gilgal, I'm going to invite you to come forward. We're going to go into this worship. We're going to go into this song. But I'm going to invite you to come forward. And you're not coming forward to have anyone pray for you, although we can pray for you if you want. You're coming forward to step out, to step out of where you're at and into the promise. It's a prophetic act. And that, that means when you do something to partner with what God is doing over your life, to partner with heaven. Yeah, yeah Jesus. So we just thank you, Lord, so much for this day. Thank you for the sunshine, for the promise that winter is coming to an end. God, I thank you for each soul in this place today. I thank you that you are a God that's invested in the end of our shame. Lord, would you come and meet us today with your goodness and your mercy and your joy. Would you come and meet us wherever we are, God? Would you come and meet us? Yeah. We have great expectation of meeting with you this morning. Thank you for listening to this week's podcast. Tune in next week for another life-giving message from one of our Vineyard 61 speakers.